Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of choice, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy Hello, everybody. Kathy Love here, and I am joined by a cast of thousands uh, in this particular episode. I have got the managing director team from Everyday Independence, and we were just doing our maths, and we haven't spoken at a podcast level since 2018. So quite the uh, quite the catch up, uh, and where to next episode today? So I've got Ingrid Cole, Mal Healy, and Leanne Healy. Welcome, welcome back. Thank you for having us, Kathy. Thanks, Kathy. 2018. Sorry, Leanne. 2018. That's uh, we'll have to yeah make sure that doesn't happen again. But how about uh, Ingrid? You lead in with a bit of a intro about your good, awesome self and your role. Uh, your role in EI. Thank you, Kathy. Well, yes, I'm Ingrid, and I'm the managing director of people and culture. So same same role when we spoke back in 2018, and really passionate 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 about developing a workforce that is fit for the NDIS and can really deliver a future fit workforce that can provide capacity building supports to people with a disability to their families to their community and um, we'll get to talk about it today but we've made some really great progress in that space. Yeah, there's a couple of key pieces that I'd love you guys to share about your amazing amazing team. Leanne, hello. Hi there. I haven't seen you for ages. <laughs> yes. So I'm. Um, uh, my focus is on access and impact. So when I talk about access, it's it's uh, making sure that the people that need therapy services or want therapy services can get them and can get them really quickly and they can start up with an interdisciplinary team rather than just having single disc. So that's um that's been that's been my main focus and our main focus over particularly the last four years. And then impact. So we're really I think last time we spoke we was we were talking about outcomes. Mm-hmm. and outcomes-based yep. funding. So we're still very much looking at making sure that we're measuring great outcomes and life-changing outcomes and not just focusing on outputs of hours and services. So still very much looking at that and and, and trying to look at ways that we do measure, measure our outcomes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been yep. my main focus. Oh, very, very awesome. And Mal Healy, Managing Director with a portfolio of finance and audit. Yeah, so it's finance and audit. And also probably what excites me more, Cathy, is, is looking at the reach EI has across Australia. So having a bit of a lens on which, which communities really need some 
some great therapy support and how can we provide that to, that to, to those to those communities so that that's certainly what's engaged me over the last six months and, and there's some really exciting some exciting opportunities over the next couple of years as we extend our uh, extend our reach to communities that, that really need some some great therapy supports. Mal, are you saying that finance and audit is not exciting? <laughs> you skipped over that. I, I picked that up, Leanne. It was just barely a breath. Okay, you win. <laughs> At least he didn't say what he normally says, which is I do all the things that Leanne and Ingrid don't don't want to do. So I, that, that's an improvement. I think he said that four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's maybe lead with that, Mal. You can have the talking stick a little longer because um, I think it's really important to um, chat about the progress you've made in the last couple of years. We know there's been a pandemic in there as as well. But um, Mal, maybe kind of, yeah, bring us some of the highlights of where you've expanded your reach, the impact you're having, where those moments of progress have been. Yeah, thanks, Cathy. If, if I start just purely with the numbers, the numbers side of things, I think in 2018 we would have been we would have been talking about 100 therapists that we were that we were working working with. We've, we've now expanded to over 500. 500 therapists or, or 500 practitioners that that are uh, supporting participants, and in addition to that, we've we're, we've now got a couple of hundred um, allied health assistants within, you know, playing a really key role within the within the team. So, from a numbers point of view, that's expanded significantly, and that that's given us the real benefit of now being able to support over 10,000 10, participants, and that's probably grown from from maybe 1,000 when we were talking in 2018. So, it, it really is a you know, we we often feel the responsibility of of supporting ten thousand um, ten thousand participants, but certainly that that journey has enabled us to to really. Um, and I'll, I'll pass on to Leanne in terms of how how our outcomes outcomes with those participants has grown and improved over over those years. But from a numbers point of view, Kathy, that's um you know that that's probably the headlines in terms of mm. growth in growth in numbers of of. Um, of practitioners and growth in uh, in number of participants that we're able to support. Yeah. What about locations? We yes, look at the map and there's little blue uh, little blue uh, pins dropping all over the countryside. Yeah. So we're we're fortunate that we're we're providing a support in every state. So more most recently has been providing supports in in uh, WA and and mm-hmm. South Australia. So we've got a dot in each of the. Each of the states, we're yet to transition to to the uh, to the territories, but from a, a state's point of view, we've got the got the the map covered, and we've also you know started to move into into regional locations in those in those states. And as I said before, looking at looking at opportunities and in, in how we can continue to to expand our expand our reach. Yeah, a team of five hundred, Ingrid. That's a lot of hearts and minds. Like, are there five of you now? No, so I think that one of the things that is been really successful is we have a hub model. So whilst we have 500 practitioners and a team of habit coaches, we also have the most incredible support team, so administration, back-end support. And um, one of our core values, which has changed since we last spoke, um, Cathy, is one team with purpose. So everybody is pulling in that same direction. So everybody is deeply connected to making inclusion possible for Australia. And just more recently, we've had 
a real focus on role clarity so every single person in the organisation knows what they do, how they do it and what they're accountable for. So it's not... um, it's not a huge responsibility because we've been able to build great capacity at hub level and coming out of a pandemic, that's been really, um, really important because getting people back into the hubs, it's definitely um, a, a much more fun place to be. So it, it was a bit tough, people being isolated and at home. So um, no, feeling very very positive about about the numbers because of the infrastructure and supports that exist. Yeah. Hey, it's Natalie Naker Consulting's team member jumping in here quickly to talk about one of our core brand values, connection. That is why we have set up two really easy ways for you to connect with us on another level or find like-minded allied health business owners just like yourself. Join us and our growing community over at the Private Practice Made Perfect Facebook group. This is a vibrant and helpful community that shares some absolute gems to growing your business. Another way is by signing up to our love letter. Only we could get away with naming a business newsletter a love letter. So get on in and sign up there so that you don't miss out on any of our events, freebies, new offers and helpful industry insights that will keep you ahead of the game. Alrighty, let's dive back into the conversation. And as an observer, I've noticed that there are more layers as such, very functional, practical leadership layers as well. That's been a bit of a, a shift in the last few years? Definitely. So we um, were able to ascertain through collaborating and working with our teams that um, our team members tend to want to go one of two pathways, either a more sort of people, leadership, management, business route, yeah. or they want to go down the clinical excellence, therapy consultant yeah. Um, clinical training, learning and development route. So people have absolutely tried one and moved across to the other and it always informs um, what they do in their role. We we certainly ascertained that people didn't need to just know their own role. They needed to know the role of others so then they could tap into the right supports. Um, but, yes, having those defined roles and really having a clearly defined career pathway that is backed up with what you taught us, a really defined grow plan um, that has meant that people uh, know what they need to do but they also know where to go to get the supports that they need Um, so that's been really important and the magic of a team is that you know where your edges are and you know your role in and around everybody else's and where there's tension and when there's overlap and omission and all of those things as well. So um, yeah, absolutely. And getting the right tension because I think yeah. there always oh, needs to tension, be some yeah. tension Yeah. Um, and then it's, you know, what's too much or what's too little. So we're really open that we're all very happy to talk about tension and what's working and what's not working for people. Yeah. Leanne, what would you like to add in? I was just, I was just going to add there, and you, you touched on it at the end, Ingrid, but I think we've been able to find that sweet spot of freedom and clarity. So we we all know that um, that people want to be autonomous in their roles. So they, you know, they need to know exactly what what they have to deliver, but there needs to be room for for them to grow and develop and have that sense of autonomy. So I think we've been able to find that sweet spot. In, in our roles and and we we used COVID to um, to work towards our one of our key values of simplifying go. 
So, you know, we use that time to go in and, as you said, Kathy, we'd, we'd layered. And when you layer and layer and layer and layer, your value of simplifying go actually goes out the window. So mm. what we 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 got very very strong feedback from our team members that uh, that the organisation was not simple to navigate, and it had we had just layered. So we really made made use of that time during COVID to go back and say, look, we just we just got to make things simple, yeah. which I, I feel like we have. And simple rarely is easy. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> it's certainly been um, all of us holding each other to account about well how often does that happen and does that actually need something added in or is that just something that you know through values-based leadership we can address with first principles um, that's been really important to hold ourselves accountable to that yeah I'd like to ask a little bit more about how you get feedback we call it feed forward from your crew how does that work on a you know daily basis I can certainly speak to that both formal and informal ways Kathy so as I talked about before we have a hub-based model and within a hub we have anywhere between one and four teams so the hub is the geographical location where yep. people come to work together and learn and each team leader has uh, normally around seven to eight people in our teams. So we've kept teams deliberately small so we can have really strong relational-based um, employee relations at a, at a hub level. So we're constantly um, receiving feedback through team leader interactions and one-to-one and -one meetings. But then on a more formal side, we actually use a platform called Culture Amp. And Culture Amp is a way that people can respond to a variety of issues throughout the employee life cycle. Um, so we use it for a whole variety of things from onboarding to induction to um, a twice yearly survey and then exit. And that gives us really great data about people's experience. So we're then actually able to accumulate that data and actually look at well, what are the priorities here and what are we hearing from people that either need to keep happening, need mm -hmm. to change or need to be tweaked in some way. I hear such uh, different things about employee satisfaction and temperature pulse checks and, I don't know, 25 other different names for similar sort of stuff. Um, and I guess I kind of think along the lines that it's got to be genuine. Like, it's not a tick-the-box tokenistic activity. It's It's got to really be structured. It's got to be anticipated. It's got to be valued. But most of all, it has to be actioned on the other on the other side. But needs yeah. to be a loop. It yeah. needs to be a loop. And, and, we did, yeah. and we did get some feedback that people were giving us feedback and we weren't tying the loop. Mm. So we've been so much more deliberate about making sure that there is a loop and that the loop does keep going. It's, it's not just one way. Yeah. I think responding with courage. So people told us they often don't mind what the answer is, but even a no is okay, but it's heard. It's being close heard. the loop. We've yep. heard the feedback. Mm. We're going to respond to this. 
This we're going to park and we might look at a little bit further down the track and this is a no. And, you know, often there is a no because it doesn't fit with what our service delivery model might be or where our strategic direction is going. But if we can provide a no and some reasons why, people are really happy with that. And I think that's something we didn't do so well in the past. Yeah, hoping you wouldn't be followed up on some things you couldn't act on. Mm. Yeah. I think change was a good one. We got feedback. There's too much change. And uh, and we had an, a whole wide uh, Zoom recently and someone had said, is the change going to stop? You know, are we, are we going to stop changing? It's like, no. No. <laughs> I'm no, we're going to toes keep curled. Please, I hope in, you didn't say no. Improving and innovating, yeah. but I think that's just an example of with yeah. you know lots of people were saying too much change, too much change. Please stop, and we had to say no. But but we needed to realise we've obviously got to manage manage that better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots of progress in the last couple of years. Team of five hundred. 10,000 participants, you're supporting hubs, all the states, not yet the territory, um, and infrastructure, as I would call it, with layers and systems and um, lots of feed forward from, from the crew. Any other kind of noticeable progress and activities you're super proud of? Do you want to talk about how the therapy model has evolved, Leanne, and the, and the interdisciplinary approach? Because I think we've got great clarity on that now. We've um, we have got great clarity now on um, that an interdisciplinary model gets the best outcomes for people who have multiple complex lifelong um, impairments that are going to affect their function. There is no doubt that interdis is the way to go as opposed to multi-discs or, or single discs. Um, and the key, the key worker model in the, you know, naught to five or we're pushing it up to naught to nine space now, I mean, it's such an applicable model across the lifespan. Mm. So we'd love to see the key worker approach across the lifespan. But we're, we have absolute clarity on interdis, and so we've been looking at a lot of our processes because the sophistication that needs to sit behind interdis is unbelievable because someone needs to start with the full suite of services. So um, so that has been tricky, I think, from a, uh, a marketplace readiness for that, particularly when you've got coordinators of support saying this person needs 10 hours of OT and six hours of speech. And it's like, well, you know, can, can you talk to us about the outcomes? You know, well, what do we want to achieve here? And there might be a different way to do that. So we've sometimes, you know, we've always had that problem of, well, we're, we're ready for it. We know that this is the way to go. Oh, actually, I'm not sure the market's quite ready for this. So um, there's there's still a lot of a lot of sector and market development capacity building. Um, that uh, that we still need to do. The other thing that we are crystal clear about is that if we want to measure outcomes, that um, they need to be um, personal outcomes around quality of life domains. So we've aligned all of our outcome measures to quality of life domains. 
um, for the person. And then what we're doing is we are measuring participation and support intensity. So I think as therapists, we have got to move into looking at not just, you know, we, we're starting to move towards participation. So most therapists will say to you now, Kathy, oh, we measure participation. But not very many people are going down the track of we have to measure support as well. We have to measure support intensity. We have to measure if there's been any change in the pattern and intensity of support because, um, you know, that's that's one of the most important factors in yeah. influence influencing budget so I think if we had had our time over again we would be called everyday participation or everyday inclusion never too late everyday independence and we're going with that one (laughs) now we'll just quickly buy those domains as we chat (laughs) Ingrid from a people and team point of view what about this shift to this now clear into this model yeah, so I some think, of us old timers have kind of seen that. I'm speaking for me, yeah. but so that's, that's what's been really, really interesting. I often say our organisation could probably be double the size in terms of headcount now if we had just delivered single or multidisciplinary therapy services. But we invited people into our organisation, and we were saying we're actually wanting to retrain you. We're wanting to do things in a really different way because we know, having curated the evidence from across the globe, that this is the right thing to do. And this is going to make you a future fit practitioner to be able to deliver to the NDIS. So cognitive dissonance is something that we've Mm. spent a lot of time looking at, Kathy. that discomfort that somebody, especially when they're experienced, has to go through in order to be able to come and and work in this way. And some people haven't wanted to sit in that level of discomfort and so they've chosen to leave us. So I'm really, when you talk about what are you proud of, I'm really proud that we had the courage to stick with it because we thought it was the right thing to do. We've also been able to grow and develop a new graduate workforce. They often haven't had to go through cognitive dissonance because it's, It's the only way that they know. So actually growing these two workforces in tandem, early career and experienced, has not been without its challenges, but the integrity or the commitment to evidence-based practice has always been there. And the fact over the last year, I would say, or even six months that we've got real clarity around that model now, we're having those conversations as early as interview, not onboarding somebody and then getting that this is not what I thought it was going to be like. Mm. So I think that's a real focus for 2022 and 2023 um, that we can bring people along for for the ride. But if, if if you do train at Everyday Independence, I can guarantee people they will be future fit to deliver what the NDIA is going to want to be purchasing. Yeah, so important to be investing in uh, clinicians and support staff to kind of future-proof them as well Mm -hmm. so that they feel they've got skills that are applicable to their next part of their career, the part after that as as well. Um, That just helps determine that uh, clinicians will stay in the workforce. Absolutely, and that's, that's so important when we have a workforce shortage. Yeah, yeah. I can use that as a bit of a, a, a jump and change direction point. Thank you, Ingrid. To, um, well, 
Mal was speaking to before. And for those listening, he has just popped up uh, a URL to uh, to give us all a bit of a laugh behind the scenes here. Uh, look, the last couple of years, you know, pick the uh, pick the cliche. We've used them all. Uh, but, you know, it's not to say that the next two years are going to be super, super breezy either. Um, and so an organisation of your size and scope is, is going to have uh, challenges that the whole workforce has, but you'll also have some of your own as well. Mal, what are, you, what are the challenges that you guys are, are, working, are working through at the moment? I think there's, there's probably four main challenges or opportunities, Cathy, that really, or, or we've been able to bundle, I think, the challenges and opportunities into four, four different areas. The first one is, is the one that I talked about in terms of uh, providing people with access to therapy. It, it, it's one area, one area that keeps me awake at night in terms of the, from a sector, the utilisation rates of therapy are between 50 and 60%. So, so we're not, we're not providing our participants with 100% of the therapy that they've that they've requested, and that's that's you know across the across the sector, everyone has wait lists, and we we um, at, again as a sector we're just not not reducing those wait lists quick quickly enough. So that that's really the number one issue that we that we're um, that we're really focused on. How can we ensure our utilisation rates? Um, you know, allow participants to get the therapy that they. That they deserve, and also the that our wait lists are down to down to zero. So we've got some you know creative ideas on how 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 to address that. But that's certainly you know driving us driving us really um on every day. I think I think if we looked at and we sort of touched upon Leanne touched upon it. I think the second one is being able to demonstrate the value of therapy uh, to the NDIS and also to uh, to individuals. And we believe you know we strongly believe that. That therapy is one of the one of the answers to the NDIS, um, or one of the answers to make the NDIS scheme really successful, and uh, and also to to manage the financial constraints on the on the NDIS. And you know, I'll, I'll let Leanne and Ingrid ex- expand on those points in a moment. The next one, which which I talked about, is broadening reach and influence. There's there's many communities throughout Australia that that aren't able to aren't able to um, to get the uh, the therapy that they require, so and I, you know, we don't have the answers for that, but but we want to be part of the solution in terms of how do we get to regional and remote areas that that need that need that uh, that level of support, and and it's not the answer isn't um, uh, you know a hundred percent telehealth telehealth yeah. service. So, so we're just trying to really look at what what is the solution there, and you know Ingrid's touched upon it a couple of times, but how do we grow a really unique uh, practitioner team that focuses on on disability only, and and that's that's the journey that we've been on for the last eight years, Kathy. But how how do we create a team that's just focused on the needs of people with a with a disability, and and how do they work work together, um, and, you know, to, to really create that trailblazing team? So yeah, so if if I had to summarise, is that it's increasing access, demonstrating value. Broadening our our reach and uh, growing a trailblazing, growing a trailblazing team. So you know, I'd be happy if Leanne or, or Ingrid, if you wanted to expand on on any any of that. I just wanted to touch on the trailblazing team. Um, working at top of scope has been a huge focus for us. Mm-hmm. Some of our team members have been really keen and enthusiastic to work at their top of scope, 
and for others it's, it's been a you know there's ne we've had to really explain what does it mean to work at top of scope particularly because we're building our allied health assistant workforce and so we you know there's such a shortage of of therapists we we need therapists to be at the very top of their scope and and pushing their edges and for for many people that's uncomfortable so you know that's that's been a focus with growing the trailblazing team i think that's true the the reality is is there isn't enough therapists to go around in australia at the moment and that is going to persist for another 3 to 5 years and so we have a responsibility, like a responsibility we feel so deeply about that if you um, are not working at top of scope, then we're not utilising the, the skills and capabilities of allied health professionals that we have in Australia. So an allied health workforce enables us to do that, but it also um, ticks the other pillar that Mal talked about, which is demonstrating value. How can you charge somebody $193 an hour to do something that is at bottom, bottom of scope? Mm -hmm. So all of those activities that or all of those practice activities, um, we are moving into a, an allied health workforce. The only other thing I will say in terms of the pillars is in terms of broadening reach. There is geographical reach, um, Cathy, but it's also our influence. So when we spoke to you in 2018, a lot of the influence that we could have was still quite close to private providers and it was coming from the public sector. We've seen huge improvement of that in the last two years where private enterprise and private enterprises are actually trying to find solutions to problems are being invited to the table. And I think that's been, been really, really promising. Um, and I think COVID even escalated escalated that because often it's private enterprise that is driving efficiency, effectiveness, yeah. can move really quickly, can be really agile and offer value for money. So that's been something that I'm enjoying more because we can broaden the influence um, as the NDIS. You know, the NDIA is really going to start holding providers to account in the next three to five years and they want to see that return on investment. Yeah. That's so good um, to hear you say that the partnerships are, are more inviting and strengthening and that you're getting a seat that, yeah, getting a seat around those 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 tables. Um, you know, we've got a few things to thank the pandemic for and I'm glad that was one of one of them for you. Uh, if we just touch on the pandemic really briefly, what were your steepest learnings out of uh, essentially those two years? One of the learnings for, for me, Cathy, was just the just the spectrum of impact that it had on people, and you know, not, not, uh, and really from from no impact at all. Let's let's just get on with it to you know really significant impact. So again, it, it reinforced that, you know, whilst we've got 500 team members, they are 500 individuals and they're, they're all responding really differently based on based on personal circumstances and, and um, you know, what, what's happened what's happened previously. So, that, again, that was probably something I already knew, I think, but just magnified it in, in during the COVID period that there was not one solution that was going to work for, for everyone. And we, I think we, and, you know, a credit to our, um, to our leadership team and team leaders that, I think they were they did really work hard at understanding 
what what's what's going on for that individual and how we best uh, how we best support them. Yeah. I had no clue how far five kilometres really was. <laughs> the fact that it's 90% water for me was, you know, a little disheartening. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we all learned a lot about how we cope or don't cope with, with rules that are just dropping from the sky on a daily basis. Um, I think we definitely learnt how connected to our why our team members were and um what what a protective strategy that is so it's much easier to to get up and sit in front of a computer or do telehealth or go out into the community where there's some risk if you really are connected to the mission of your of your organization and I felt that was really really strong in 2020 and the longer the pandemic went on the more actively you had to work to connect Mm -hmm. people connect people to your why Um, the other thing I learned, but back to um, my point about broadening influence, is that I think that, um, and I hope I'm okay to say this, but I do think that our peak bodies um, perhaps need to recognise now that their membership works in the disability and community services and not just in the clinical services. So I felt that their advice and their response to members is um, was very risk adverse and didn't acknowledge the people that we support live a life that is already um, extremely restricted and they're an extremely vulnerable population and that's where I'd like to work in partnerships with our peaks to look at well what does that actually mean for our members um, for for disability and community services and we ended up aligning ourselves more with disability and community services than we did actually peak allied health professional bodies because they were able to give us a way in which to work with our team members that seemed more reasonable. And respectful and human rights-based. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Leanne? Kathy, one of the things that we learned in terms of participant outcomes, and I'd probably like to, to challenge those people out there that, are, that, um, that feel that you can get participation and support outcomes only doing telehealth and nothing else um, really, really impacted the type of um, participation and inclusion outcomes that we could get for our participants. It it was just so reinforcing and validating that absolutely there's a place for telehealth, but if you're really committed to inclusion and participation outcomes, uh, you in a social ecological model need to get out there. Yep. And that the learning around that is on how to achieve that is significant. You don't just try and squish regular therapy through the little white light. It's a whole different mindset and way of way of working. Mm-hmm. Any other kind of uh, powerful learnings from the last couple of years? Possibly not so much learning, but just recognition. To our Mm. people. I mean, Mal mentioned it before, our leaders really stepped up, really, really stepped Mm. up. Our team members, I think, often did double the amount of work for similar, similar results. And certainly to our Victorian team members, it was a marathon, not a sprint. So I suppose it's more just using this forum. Kathy to say that we we see those people, we recognize mm. those people, and the and the fact that they have continued to stay committed to. I mean, we 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 
also recognise the privilege we have to stay employed and to have something purposeful Mm. to do with those long days. There's there's no doubt about that as well. But our team members really, really did step up during during that time and, and the way they supported each other. I feel very proud of that. Yeah. The word that's uh, rattling in my mind is resilience as well. Yeah, and that ebbs and flows, doesn't it? It's not mm. just, it's not static. And so when someone else wasn't feeling so resilient, someone else would step in. So I think it was a team or a, um, yeah, an, an organisational resilience, um, which was which was really important. Yeah, yeah. So let's just kind of, um, you know, daydream on sunnier days ahead. Uh, what um, What's on the whiteboard for you guys for the next kind of year or two? Without sharing all, just sharing the right amount of good stuff. Mm. I can I can jump in there. So I'm I'm often inspired by um, Airbnb by Brian Chesky from Airbnb. I think <laughs> I think they're amazing. I love looking at their journey, but. I know that I heard him saying recently that it's really hard to get even 10 people to love anything, but it's not hard if you spend a ton of time with them. Mm. And I thought, well, I normally love you, Brian Chesky, but a ton of time with them. So how does that look? How does that look in our organisation where we're growing and scaling and where we're dispersed. Um, so we're really committed to our learning and development platform and um, and building building great content. But and there's a there's I know Monash and La Trobe have just developed fantastic disability courses for therapists to do. But I still think there's a big gap in that translation from uh, from knowledge to practice. So our learning platform will have, you know, a lot of that that knowledge and that theoretical basis, but they'll also be, okay, and now this is what you do when you go out to do your job. So, you know, trying to trying to look at how can you how can you give everybody all of the input and all of the support that they need without relying purely on face-to-face contact to be able to do that. That's one of the things that we're working on. A couple of years ago, I was listening to a futurist and um, he was probably about five years ago. One of his predictions was the shift of thinking, entrepreneurial thinking from the unicorn startup kind of business into a a zebra herd community-based organisations as well. It kind of speaks to that similar stuff, that um, having the right amount of together, the right amount of apart, but understanding the elasticity that needs to sit Sit, uh, sit in between, and um, you know, back then when I heard this guy speak, uh, we didn't know that the pandemic would pull us apart and push us together all in the same uh, fifteen minutes or so. But um, this concept of community and what do human needs, what do humans need, I think is a really interesting one, and kind of snuggles in quite nicely with that. I think absolutely, and the thing that I'm excited about or what next is now we're really clear on what our model is, what the evidence is. Uh, one of our core values is change the game. So our everybody that works in our organisation is a change maker and they come together to change the game for the disability landscape in Australia. So I think that it's even happening now with our talent acquisition is that because we're so much clearer on what it is that we offer yeah. in terms of our employee value proposition, 
So yes, we offer, I mean, employee value propositions, you know, all those things that used to be perks, they're now just a given, you know, EAP, great learning and development, wellbeing strategies. We do all of that. It's the coffee and parking of the 80s. Yeah, we, we do all of that well, but we were like, what makes us different to others? Why would people want to join us, commit to us and put in that discretionary effort? And it is about being a change maker. And it is about learning to work in a way that um, is going to see great outcomes. Um, and then that's where you get that discretionary effort from, isn't it? Because what you're doing is truly satisfying and you can you, you, you you can see yourself living a life with purpose and being able to have a livelihood and make a living at the same time. So I think that's what I'm really excited about promoting is we've got the whole EVP, but the real value proposition is come and learn, come and make a real difference to people's lives um, because this is the future and this is the way forward. Um, and then it would be amiss of me not to add tech on top of that. So tech is mm. going to be the greatest enabler. I don't think yeah. we even know yet what's around the what's around the corner, but we're going to see artificial intelligence and a whole lot of things coming into play. And our eyes are wide open to that. And we're looking at that because that's really going to supercharge what we can offer people. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Mal, what do you think the next couple of years? I I suppose with the finance hat on, Cathy, the next couple of years, I'd love to be both us as an organisation, but also as a sector, to be able to go back to the NDIS and say, well, if, you, if you've if you've invested a million dollars in this organisation to provide therapy, then we're really clear in terms of the the dollar um, benefit that's that's provided to the participant and and the scheme. So, if you've invested a million dollars in therapy with us, we'd love to be able to go back with really tangible evidence around here's a return of ten million dollars for that yes. uh, for that in that investment you know we're not far from that and I hope that 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 evolves over the next over the next couple of years but but I do think there's a a sense of urgency that that we need to go back to them because I think the NDIS probably sees therapy as an expense at the moment not an investment yeah whereas it is an investment but we need to need to provide the evidence so that they can see it as uh, as an investment oh love that 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 just totally turns the tables doesn't that totally turns the tables well, I think it opens it up, Kathy. Around, well, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we invest twice the amount in therapy that we're investing at the moment? Because that unlocks so much productivity in the participant and and in the in the community. Yet we're we're probably just or we are short in terms of being able to really really back up that with some really clear clear evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes left. Free for all. Who's got something that's been left unsaid? I might live to regret these words, but what's your your parting message, one from each of you? Leanne, your parting message. I think just um, just linking in with what Mel was saying, the marketplace, the therapy marketplace is still really fragmented mm-hmm. and we've still got, you still hear people say, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'll, I'm dipping my big toe into NDIA. I'm doing a little bit of NDIA. There's the the, the therapy market place, place is so fragmented that if only we could join forces somehow around our voice and start talking about outcomes and if there can be a greater unified voice 
Mm. I think we're going to get somewhere. And I do think particularly OT OT Australia are really trying to unite unite the voice and and try and push forward one united voice. But that's that's very challenging. And just because everybody is in private practice, it doesn't mean that we can't play nicely together. Oh, absolutely. Surely those days are behind us. Ingrid, parting thoughts. Well, my parting thoughts, really looking through the lens of talent and workforce, Cathy, is is one of gratitude or thanks to any listener today that is either part of everyday independence or has been a part of everyday independence in the past. We are a significantly different organisation to what we were when we spoke to you in 2018. And a huge amount of our learnings have been from people that have exited or have had the courage to tell us what what it could what it could look like and that's given us clarity to know the workforce that we need to build to deliver this model but also know the workforce and know and understand the workforce that is available available to us so at the moment that is OTs physios speech pathologists but then our early um, career, oh, sorry, early intervention practitioners and our behaviour support practitioners. And then we're also welcoming somewhere between 10 and 20 um, practitioners from overseas each year as well. So I think the next step for us is um, from those learnings, and I am deeply grateful for those learnings, <laughs> is one more of diversity and inclusion on on a number of levels, not just culturally, not just mm. in terms of different groups of people, but the way in which we think, the way in which we do. Um, and it's because of all those learnings that we've, we've got to that point where we can take that next step. Yeah. Thank you. Mal. Oh, Kathy, I think Leanne and Ingrid stole all the good ones. I'm, oh, well. I'm not sure I've got any parting bills. You're left with finance and audit. Yeah, the fun bits. You've got to find something. You're left with finance and audit again. Finance and audit, Kathy. I'm not creative enough. Uh Love it. Good, good. Well, let's make sure we reconnect in the next uh, kind of 12 months or or so. So good catching up with you. Ingrid and I grab a phone call every so often with one. Mm -hmm. We're usually both in cars going places. But, um. Yeah, it's just been so good to watch. Every time I go and look at your website, you can just almost sense the the strengthening every time you you kind of look at it. So kudos to you guys. And a big thank you to you, Kathy, because you are continually trying to get people to push their edges. So go you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I agree, Kathy. Um, I think what you're offering in the sector for people to really move this engine forward and to see the opportunity mm. that it presents for um for practitioners and small business owners it's been it's been super helpful as well very very welcome it's it's really about that tribe and that back to that sense of community together we can all do so much more mm. yeah group hug group hug Bye-bye. See you guys. Thanks for dropping by. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. 
And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.